that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Hey there, Paisani. Welcome back to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. A very, very special public service episode, if you will. I'm John Viola, and I am fired up today. That's very intense. I've never, we never ever came on like we were the emergency broadcast system. I feel like I am. I feel like I'm the Italian, whatever the Italian American equivalent of. You, you also know. look like you're broadcasting as an emergency. Like you're. <laughs> That's our guest today, our very good friend, Mike Fava, who is the head of uh, U.S. sales at the Checo Pasta. And I told Mike, we're going to just bring him in right away because we've got such a long relationship with Mike. And his wife. We know both of them. Yeah, that's we're right. We're friends yeah. with both of them. That's right, yeah. I mean, if, if we had to really say it, John's the reason why I married my wife. If we had to go down that route, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. What a, what a claim to fame I get for that. I get the unofficial <laughs> Amashata. Why don't you tell us, Mike? How is that the fact? That's a great honor for John. Your children are the product of John's handiwork. <laughs> I don't know about that. I'll send you the bill, John. <laughs> so that, thank you so much, my Amushata. And, uh, you know, we've got another one of our co-hosts here today, too, who is Ms. Rosella Raga was here. I don't want her to be overlooked. Ro, how's things going for you? I mean, you know, it's some dark days. Pastina's being discontinued. The community's in an uproar. It's, you know, I've seen 700 Pastina posts in the past 48 hours. <laughs> so, so have I. And that's absolutely why we're here today, because I have been obviously like all Italian Americans out there. It seems like we never get coverage of the super important stuff that happens in our community. But this has taken on a life of its own. And people are scared genuinely about the lack of a product that has become a staple in our community. And so. Pat called me right away and said, you know, we got to talk about this and who better to have than Mike because Mike is a senior executive at the Checo Pasta, which is obviously not the company in question for the um, pretty abrupt discontinuation of, of Pasina. That's Ronzoni Pasta. And we posted a little something about it. We got all these comments saying, you know, it's not even good pasta. It's not this. And that. But I wanted to talk about it because it's not a matter of what's good pasta, what's bad pasta. We're going to talk about that because Mike's taught me a lot about what it goes into making good pasta. But, you know, for me, this has been very disruptive because, first and foremost, Ronzoni is a very old American-Italian brand. started here by Italian immigrants in 1915. We've talked about it a lot on the show. Pat always makes the point, you know, there was a time before DiCecco and before Barilla and before all these artisanal brands that we get now that we didn't get imported pasta in the U.S., imported dried pasta. We had Ronzoni and Prince in, in Boston and all these regional pasta brands. Muller's, which was made in Jersey City. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, you know, what's the Red Rose and one of them out in St. Louis. And, you know, there were kind of indigenous Italian-American brands. A lot of them have conglomerated into others, uh, in, into one kind of company. And, and now Ronzoni being the biggest name of all these conglomerated pastas. And in some markets, they're still available under their old brands. Uh, it's owned by a multinational conglomerate that has very little attachment to its Italian-American roots. And I think it's evidenced in this decision to do away with pastina. And for those in the audience who have been living under a rock, pastina is a very tiny, uh, uniquely star-shaped pasta cut. And it's a standard, I think it's safe to say it's a standard in the first introduction of Italian children to pasta. It's in soups when you're not feeling well, and it's called Italian-American penicillin. Screw, screw, I, I, I got to protest this. Why? What do you got to protest because, now? Because, because I'm in a rage. No, that has nothing to do. Why did I want this episode? Number one, because, and, and this is why I wanted this, this episode, because I, I, to me, this is nonsense in the sense that Ronzoni has hijacked, or we've allowed, we have given them proprietary control of the term pastina. Anybody can make pastina. Pastina is a small pasta shape that's conducive to soups, right? We all know what it is. You either eat it as a baby or when you're sick or you put it in a soup. The, the star shape that Ronzoni made, anybody could make, right? And they have bazillion now, uh, Ajina Babe, Semi Malone. There's a bazillion different shapes of small pasta, dry pasta shapes that can step into the position of Ronzoni. There's plenty of small shapes. And I guarantee you, now that Ronzoni has walked away from this, and I have a feeling, maybe I'll be wrong, that they're going to step back from this because they got a lot of free publicity out of this, right? My first feeling is, A, somebody else from Italy will step into the role and make a better product. 
Because we're acting like, I don't think, I think Ronzoni walked away from a good product a long time ago, right? I think that just like Stellador, they get bought out by these big conglomerate organizations that downgrade a product. And we have emotional ties to it. But there's no way the Stellador of today is anything of what it was 30 years ago, right? It's just laughable. And I think that this should be a moment to educate people what Bastina is and to have them go out and buy Italian-made Bastina brands. And we should move on from this. We, we lose this stuff. It's the same thing that happened to um, a Medaglia d'Oro. Medaglia d'Oro was bought by Nestle, and it's a completely different act. The Medaglia d'Oro that you buy today is nothing like what I what my, I used to drink in the 90s. So, yeah, look, Pat, you said just about everything that I, I was going to say on, on the topic. And before this past two weeks, no one actually knew that Ronzoni had actually taken that word and created a pasta cut out of it instead of a category, right? The actual cut that they use at Stellina, which we produce in Italy, um, we've just never brought it here because the Accini di Pepe that we use here actually is, the ex if you look at the category, it's exactly the same as what Ranzoni calls pastina. Um, it's just crazy because what I would like to know is out of all the people that are losing their minds over this, when was actually the last time that they ate pastina? Wait, just I, I, if I may interject as someone who was almost an Italian teacher, almost, sorry, mom and dad for wasting all your money. But uh, the, the word pastina is the diminutive of pasta because I run into this issue all the time when I, you know, I put like uh, orzo or like semi di melone or a more obscure kind of pastina. People get, you know, lose their minds and they're like, that is not pastina because right. the only thing that they associate with pastina today are the little stars, right. the little Ranzoni stars, which are different than the little stars with the hole in the middle. Um, so, uh, and they, you know, get all crazy. They're like, that's not pastina, that's not pastina. But the word pastina refers to any very small pasta. It is not just the little tiny stars that Ranzoni made. So technically all tiny pasta is pastina, is a genre of pasta. Yeah, it's a, it's a subcategory of pasta. So there's egg pasta, there's pastina, there's semolina pasta. So pastina is just a category. Mike, if you just bring the Stellina over from the Checo, this is all over. So here's the thing. And it's so funny because so many people are losing their mind. But if you look at the actual category, which is soup category, which is where pastina falls into, it's not a huge category within pasta. You know, it's a small piece of the pie. Ranzoni, which is not owned by the family anymore, it's owned by, I don't know who owns the company. And, you know, sometimes maybe you can't blame for them. Someone makes that product for them. And whoever the manufacturing company is that produces that product for them say, hey, this is not worth the time and the money to produce. They released that in a statement. They said, look, we don't want to discontinue it, but the company that makes this product for us is no longer producing it. So they don't make the product. They have a sub company that does it for them. So unless they could figure out a way to go to somebody else and have that product produced, then this is the reason why they're doing it. But again, it's not the biggest category in pasta. So I don't, and I just, the thing is, is that we live in a social media world. So this is kind of almost on the cool side of things. So it's cool to complain and post about it. And look, I spent a little time on social media trying to explain this to people. But there are so many ignorant people out there that just want to jump on a bandwagon that you, Pat, you're going to blow a casket if you get into a conversation with somebody on the Internet over this. <laughs> That's why I don't. I can't do it. I ain't got, I, I don't have the mental bandwidth. But we. I'm saying this is a crisis. Listen, Mike, I'm going to throw this out there. We're going to deflate the balloon today. I have a pin to pop this balloon. Listen. If you call headquarters in Abruzzo and yeah, you get the Stellina it's, over it's here, happening. we'll work something out. You could be our sponsor. We will. You could sponsor us. We will blast the media with Stellina, Stellina that comes from Dicheco. I'm putting it on the table here right now. See, what's so interesting is that when you work in food, you realize that people kind of think that like at the Ranzoni factory, there are like little pasta elves <laughs> handshaking each little Stellina you know, and, and like fine tuning it with tiny little tools 
you know, and people don't realize that every company outsources for most of their products, you know, like even me, I, I have someone who makes my ceramics, someone who makes the pasta, someone who makes, you know, everything. And I just want to, you know, PSA guys, pastina is not dead. We have plenty of pastina at bottegadelanona.com. We actually sell the best-selling pastina box that comes with three cuts of pastina, a spoon, uh, the dado, some oil, uh, tomatoes, if you want to make it tomato-based. Just whatever. Sorry, John, I had to interject a little bit. <laughs> I, I, I just think this is so solvable. I, I know this sounds ridiculous, but it's like when they found out that citrus cured scurvy, <laughs> just fill up, just fill a ship full of limes and oranges and you get rid of scurvy. You know, just tell Mike to bring over the Stalina and it's all over. Let them go. Walk, Ron's only walk, walk. But I, I do think this is an important conversation from a different perspective. Let me just bring a different perspective to this, okay? First of all, I, not because Mike's my friend and not because he's on here, a pasta like Ronzoni has not been a premier pasta for a long time, right? That's been the commentary on a lot of social media. It's like, ah, oh, it's not even that good. Okay, we get that, right? There's a couple things that I'm drawn to in this conversation here. First and foremost is the idea that we have to remember that in certain places, right, we have a New York, New Jersey mentality. It is still one of the only pastas, at least you know, with the, with the heavy variety available to people in our community. So there are people in our community who, when we say like, yeah, it's easy, it's an easy solution. Don't forget there's, and, and, you know, Mike can speak to this. There's a big machinery behind. If you're going to bring in a different shape of pasta or a new product, it's then got to make its way through distribution to different parts of the United States. So there are places within Italian America where they may not have alternatives right now. They will. Somebody's going to fill that gap if you want them, right? And the internet's great, and you can go on Bottega della Nona and order Rose Pastina box. And, you know, I've seen it in production. It's, it is a great product. It's got great pastina. And DiCecco's going to come in from Italy, from Abruzzo, and save the day, and we're going to have Stellina coming out our ears. I get that. But my point is, it still speaks to the idea that, for many of us, these heritage brands, even though they've gone through multiple ownerships and then now they're owned by the Nestle's or the Crafts or whatever conglomerates it is, they still not only mean something emotionally. You know, you guys know me well. I will buy any Italian-American brand. I mean, I even buy cans of uh, Chef Boyardee just to support Chef Boyardee because there's an Italian guy. I, don't, not, I swear on, to God. God. <laughs> that's, that's Irish people eat that. I don't eat it. No, I just Irish buy it. Irish people feed And I never ate. Can I tell you the proudest moment of my grandmother's life? Yeah. I swear to God, I'm not making this up. My grandmother opened up a can of Chef Boyardee and cooked it and put it in front of my brother. I swear to God, Scott's honest truth. And my brother smelled it. He, I don't even think he was talking yet. And he shook his head and refused to eat it. My grandmother tested that. I'm not making See, my, <laughs> my mental, my, my whacked outness comes from my grandmother. And my grandmother told everybody. My grandmother called people up like it was a holiday. Because all my <laughs> Irish first, remember, my Irish relatives are off the boat. All my Irish first cousins, their Irish off the boat mothers gave them Chef Boyardee. And that, that was the moment that proved what, what team we were playing for. Did you feed that to your daughter? Don't tell me. No, 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 wait, hold on, let me, let me be, let me be very, very trans. Oh my God, John's going to get a knock at the door, like from the, like Italian American Child Protection Agency. No, I do not. No, no, no. Wait, let me go on the record. I do not feed it to anybody in my house, myself included. I just buy it. Honestly, this is how I really am. This is how passionately Italian American I am. I go through the supermarket. I see it on there. I know it tastes like dog food, maybe worse. But I look at it and I go, you know what? First of all, there was a time 100 plus years ago where it was the only Italian thing on the shelves. It was an introduction for our culture to the greater American culture. Secondly, it was founded by an Italian-American entrepreneur who didn't have two pennies to rub together and built a beautiful company who gave a ton back to his country during the war, supplied food for troops in World War II. I mean, massive amount. The guy was commended by Congress. For, and here's an Italian-American. So, yes, it's not a great product anymore. It probably never was a great product. I don't ever really open it. I just let it gather dust until there's a you know another uh, global food shortage or a nuclear holocaust. But it's there in my like emergency rations of my uh, basement. How bad of an emergency are you expecting? Well, let me say, you never know, first of all. But my point I is... I mean, the Russians would have to nuke us. Or the Chinese, whoever. <laughs> I mean, that's, what a, it, that's a far What strategy. would it take to get Pat to eat Chef Boyardee? But my point is, I buy all these brands because I have an attachment to Italian America and the heirloom brands that were... I, I, buy, I don't even like peanuts. I buy Panthers peanuts. I, I just... This is how I am, right? I, I, I feel like it's 
me clinging to something. But if you put the nostalgia aside for these things, there's also the sense that for a lot of us, they are still in the far-flung places in the community, one of the few options available. So they, they mean something because they're still there and they are still available and you may not have better options than them. So it, there is something to be said about, you know, doing things the way we've always done them and the continuity of that. And I could see where this is disruptive for people. And, and we're, you're right. I'm sure 99% of the people out there who are having a heart attack are fearful that they're not going to be able to feed their kids pastina or when you're sick, which is a legitimate concern because I know we feed it to the baby all the time. When I'm sick or Nicole's sick, we go for the pastina. That's just it, it's a big part of our kind of get well. That ginger ale, uh, fennel if you got a stomach ache, maybe a bay leaf, you know, Vicks vapor rub. That's our first aid kit. But I do think that there is some concern for people who may not have access to other stuff. And so our, my hope in this public service episode was to say, like you're saying, look, this is not the end of Pastina as you know it. It It's out there. It's available. Multiple different brands make it. Many of them are going to be exponentially better than what you've had if you were eating uh, Ronzoni for so many years. Yeah, it's a little bit of an emotional letdown to not do the same thing you've been doing your whole life. But there's Pastina on the way. Don't worry. But I will say I have been curiously checking the grocery shelves all over this area since uh, the announcement. And it is gone from the shelves right now. I have not found a star-shaped pastina to replace it anywhere. Oh, social social media has done that now. The power of social media is that if something like this happens, people just lose their minds. <laughs> like, we can't keep up with it right now. And look, you have to project sales, right? It's not like you just have all this stuff in the back of your house and you could just sell it out to all your distributors or your distribution. So now you're really going to see a shortage. So there wasn't a problem, and now a problem has been started because people are just going to go out and buy whatever they get their hands on. Rosella, you're probably going to see your sales spike out of nowhere for, for, for no apparent reason. But Absolutely, and I am grateful for the uh, toilet paper pastina shortage. Right. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. But, you know, it's not just because I run a business and I, and I want to make money. From my standpoint, from my point of view, my business is still very small. I run a very small family business, but what my cocaine is in this game is bringing people a comfort that they can get something that is so important to their heritage that they feel so important. It's not the pastina. It's not because, you know, we just want to eat this like tiny pasta cooked in a broth. It's about what it means to people. It is, when you're an Italian American, pastina is the ultimate culinary comforting presence in our lives. Yeah. It is our Italian penicillin. It cures everything from a broken heart to, you know, agita. <laughs> and, it, and it just, people are so connected to this and it feels great for me to be like, guys, I got it. I got it. Don't worry. It's going to be fine. And and I can be that person. Right? I feel like a superhero. So you know what I think? You think you hit on something really good, Rosella. If you look at the people that are that are losing their minds, of people that are going crazy over this, you've never heard them speak of the actual brand before. I think people are losing their mind because of that actual name. Like there was this thing where people are like, there's no pastina anymore. That's it. It's done. The United States are not going to have pastina anymore. We're not going to, like John was saying, we're not going to be able to feed it to our kids. It, no, it was just, it, it's one brand, a small brand. You, When was the last time you heard anybody talk about that brand? Out of all the people that are posting this, a lot of social media influencers that talk about that, you, you've never spoken of this before, but now all of a sudden it's this huge deal. The more I look at it, the more it doesn't make sense. You want to laugh? This is how, this is evidenced by me. I sort of challenge myself, right? Because we, we eat it a lot, especially with the baby. And it's going to bring me to another point of mine, too, that I want to talk with Mike about while he's here, which is pasta shapes and what they really mean and don't mean. But for the past however many years that I've been living on my own, I've been using the, the little Lachini uh, pastas instead of stars for a long time. They're in my pantry now. But as I was thinking about it, I thought to myself, you know, as I've been making them, I do think that they take to the soup differently than the stars do. They sort of hold together more. And so it, it led me to think about what a pasta shape means 
Mike, you and I years ago had a conversation about penne lisha, right? Flat penne versus penne with the um, regatta, regatta with the ridges in it and stuff like that, and and how you know how much people make a fuss over those. Let's talk for a second about what a shape of pasta really does mean. Does it matter if you use one thousand percent? I had a fight with a Polish <laughs> friend of mine. She's Polish American, and she grew up across the street from me, surrounded by Italian people. And I told her I've never in my life had spaghetti on a Sunday. And she's like, well, I said, you can't. The spaghetti, just you don't eat spaghetti on the Spaghetti's not, you can't have spaghetti on a Sunday. Spaghetti does not go with a ragu, sauce, gravy, whatever the word of the day is. And she just looked at me like, basta vazul, basta basil, basta badan. Like, I have very strict rules that I was taught by my grandmother of what goes with what. And certain things go and some things don't. And if you, that's one of those things that make you part of the tribe. 100%. If you see pasta basil and you want to make it with spaghetti, unless you're starving in a fallout shelter after a nuclear bomb, then that's the only acceptable time you could have spaghetti with something like macaroni and peas. Wait, right? wait, 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 Patrick. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. Here we go. You can break the spaghetti. Bingo. That's still pastina. That's right. You're right. That's true. <laughs> yes, that's, that's right. That's small. Yeah, but yeah. how small are you going to break it? But you're going to have to be, I mean, if you're in the bomb shelter and there's nothing else going on because you're in a nuclear winter, Maybe you could eat Chef Boyardee and break the spaghetti down small. <laughs> but a long, unbroken spaghetti that's not been spezzata, you cannot have it possible. But the Italian people get that. I think that's the kind of things that separate us from them. Yeah, I'm talking about spaghetti broken down into, you know, no more than the size of your fingernail. That's how my grandmother will make it. If she has, like, leftover spaghetti, she'll cry. Well, well actually, it's funny. Be- before, before this whole colossal was happening with pastina, we actually brought on a new soup cup because the soup category is growing within the United States. It's called Fellini. It's literally that. It's literally tiny pieces of angel hair. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, so now now we know Fellini is available by the Checo, and that's something my grandmother would make with pasta pizel for sure because she uses an egg to bind it all together too. So Look, cuts, not only do they describe the type of dish that you're eating, but certain regions also have certain cuts and they stick by it. Like we're Sicilians, right? Outside of Sicily, where else are you eating on a letti? Really? Like that, it's a symbol of Sicily. You know, uh, uh, Puglia, you know, Orecchietti, you eat them all over Italy, but they represent a region. Not only do they represent a dish, but they represent a region. So there's a lot of sentimental stuff going on to what cuts of pasta you're eating with what? And look, a lot of times you talk to people and you're like, ah, that's pasta, it's boring. There is so much history behind pasta, it's crazy. Um, you know, from how pasta is manufactured to how people actually eat it and how they combine it. Look, Pat, you see some of these new restaurants and some of these new school, even Italian restaurants and how they're, they're using different cuts of pasta and different types of meats and different types of sauces the tradition is kind of a little going out the window. So that's why I like to stay home. Yeah. <laughs> I understand what the dinosaurs must have felt like in Jurassic Park. <laughs> I, understand. I don't know. I, I don't know. I see. Yeah. But in Italy, they do that stuff, too. And it throws me off. Like, you know what a new shape is that they're all in love with? Was it Cal- Calamarata? Calamarata. Yeah, Calamarata. And like everybody what is knows, that? Oh. We discontinued it. Like, it literally looks like a calamari. It's a, it's a quarter of a pocket. Ah, okay. So there's a pacchetto, there's a mezzo pacchetto, and then there's a half a pacchetto, which is a calamarata. By the way, I want to say, I think pacchetti has made a big, big leap into the United States because I never saw it growing up here ever in a million years, and it's everywhere now, everywhere. It, it was, remember, I come from Italian grocers on both my grandparents' families, right? Or rather, I should say fruit and vegetable business. And my grandmother used to say, when the big, the big cut that they sold years ago when they had the store in Jersey City, was a schiaffadun. We called it schiaffadun. Schiaffadun, yeah. Right, but that's like a pocketty that's a little bit bigger, right? What's the difference? It's a pocketty that's got ridges on it. Is that what, that's what makes a schiaffadun a schiaffadun? That's what makes it a schiaffadun, yeah. I never we, knew. Maron, it's a learning moment. We used to bring, we brought here for a while, I think we still have it, uh, we called it rigatoni napoletano because that's what the schiaffadun comes from. It's that, from that Napoli region, so... Just to not to confuse people, we call the rigatoni napoletano, and that's that. It's a it's a pockety with ridges on. That's why Pat Cooper used to call the wedding bag. Yeah, and you put the envelopes in the boosting at the wedding, the schiaffaduna bag. You want to hear something yeah. interesting, my grandmother? They used to when they sold macaroni in Jersey City. Um, in my grandmother's time, I guess I'd say in the forties and fifties, they were kept in drawers. My grandmother used to tell me. 
So they were in drawers. And then you would come into the store and say, I want a half pound of scaffoldoon, a pound of scaffoldoon. Then they would scoop it out of the drawer and put it in a blue paper. That's why the boxes were all blue. So they would wrap it up in like blue, um, like, a, I guess, a butcher's kind of wax paper type stuff. I don't know what the correct word is. Yeah. And you know the pasta mista? They have the mischiata, the all different broken shapes of macaroni. Yeah. My grandmother said that when they were cleaning out the drawers, like when, you know, you would restock, all the broken pieces you would put in one uh, box and that would be the cheap. They would be discounted and people would use that for like pasta badan, you know, macaroni potatoes or pasta vazul. So it's funny you say that, Pat. I, we've, we've just been talking because this this upcoming year we're celebrating the 130th year of us importing pasta in the United States. Wow. And when we first imported pasta in the United States, that's how we used to come. If you ever come to our office, John, the first big picture that we have in our office is a picture of a wooden, the Checo box. That's how they used to ship the pasta. We used to ship them in wooden boxes. Wow. John wants one for his collection. <laughs> yes, I do. John, how do you I not have, have this? I, I know. Well, I'm going to now want to be on the lookout. First, you tell me you buy Chef Boyardee. You come out of that closet. <laughs> like the Sicilian closet came out. Now you tell me you don't have the Decheco wooden boxes. What is 2023 is not voting well. My weird Italian-American collection, one of the things I love, love, is display cases of products. So, like, I have um, Denobili cigar cases and... I actually lost an auction for a beautiful DiCecco poster from like 1910 that was absolutely magnificent. It was one of the original, um, one of the original instances where they were using the the current, uh, let's say, mascot uh, contadina woman, the 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 you know peasant woman, farmer woman, whatever. Yeah. So I have been on the lookout ever since for that, and I will keep looking for a wooden pasta container. And it, you know, Pat, it's amazing you tell that story because you told me that the first time many, many, many years ago, and this year. As my family and I were shopping for Christmas Eve on Arthur Avenue, which we happened to run into Mike in the liquor store, we were in line to go into Titel Brothers because they have a couple of like peppers and uh, anchovies and uh, mushrooms and stuff under oil that we like. We always get them there, and we're in line and you know got to wait outside because it's a it's a busy day, and we're walking past their displays outside and they have a little plastic bag filled with all the mixed broken pieces, and my dad's eyes light up and he's like, "Oh, I got to get this. I haven't seen this in so long." And I, of course, recalled your story, Pat, and told him, you know, this is where it came from, blah, blah, blah. And this is why pasta boxes probably come in blue these days. And, of course, he was blown away by the Italian-American Wikipedia and my reference to it. But this is what I'm talking about. This is, you know, you're talking about, like, how excited my dad in his late 60s got about the prospect of making pasta fazula with all the broken pieces because these things mean something because they're passed on. And sometimes we get lost in these arguments online, particularly this crazy social media, you know, cacophony about what's a better product and how could you eat this? And, you know, oh, you're, you're it. Then we start talking about it, the authenticity of someone's Italianness. And the truth of the matter is sometimes we do things because they were passed on to us by people that we love and because it may not be the best product, but it may give us the warms and fuzzies just seeing that box and just seeing that branding. And that's not a bad thing. Like, I think about the fact that if you recall a few years back when Hostess went under and Twinkies were disappearing from the shelves and Wonder Bread, right? What's more American than Wonder Bread? And for those of us who grew up in families that didn't really eat Wonder Bread very much, when I was a kid, I, I know, and I know, Ro, I think you and I share this, we've talked about this, I wanted a Wonder Bread sandwich, that squishy bread that was going to get wet with whatever, you know, cold cut was on it and kind of melt. And, like, I was jealous of my friends that had them. And then when my mom would get it after I begged her, I loved it. And yeah, of course, you could replace it with any of the thousands of brands of, you know, enriched white sliced bread that are out there. And I'm sure 99% of them taste better. But something about that weird, you know, uh, blue, red and yellow circles on the white bag, it made me feel warm and cozy. So, you know, it's not always about what's the best product. We're not all always going to eat like gourmands. Sometimes it's just about what makes you feel good. Maybe you, my friend, but not me. <laughs> that is very true. Every every ounce of fat on me is quality. What do you call those pigs? What are they, yes. Berkshire pigs? I'm like, a, I want to be a Berkshire pig. I'm not, yes, I'm not, I'm not going to waste any fat on my body on a Wonder Bread, a low quality product. So I think I think the issue here is that the, the word sentimental and pat don't really it's not it's not it's not a match, but this true. 
it's it's totally sentimental for people, but they've taken the sentimental context out of it, though. If you see what's happening on social media and how people are portraying it, it's not like people saying, "Oh, I'm heartbroken because I was so attached to the actual brand, and I could care less about what the actual pastina was because I could get it somewhere else." Ronzoni, you suck. No, the communication is like, "What are we gonna do now?" There's no more pastina. We can't eat pastina anymore. What I've seen post of, what am I going to feed your kid? What do you live under a rock? <laughs> yeah, but you know what, Mike, I learned, and John corrected me with this. We have a New Jersey, New York, umbilical del mundo mentality that this is the same. But there are parts in the country. You know what I do now when I go to other parts of the country? I go to a supermarket, I walk down the macaroni aisle, and that's how I judge how Italian it is. So I'm, I'm sure there's somebody in the middle of nowhere and tell us if you're in the middle of nowhere, who cannot, that that was, and they probably had to drive 45 minutes to get that Bastina, that Ronzoni Bastina. But that's my thing, is go, go on the internet. That's the beauty of today. I, I'm getting, you know, it's so easy today. Click, click, click. We don't need, we're, we're going to be unshackled from these chains. We will break these chains because you know what, Ronzoni? It's, you need one of those women, like these boots were made for walking. Like we're going to walk away. <laughs> we're going to walk. I need a girl song. What's a girl we, liberated? We've been a, scor a scorned lover song. Yeah. I need a, we're, we're done with you, Ronzoni. We're going to something bigger and better. We're going to find a bigger and better. You guys know I love milk. My milk producer went, over, went under a couple of years ago. I swear to God. And I said, God, why would you do this to me? The A2 milk, Pat? No, I, I graduated to A2. Oh, when trickling springs went under and I couldn't get trickling springs, I moved. I said, God, why did you do this to me? And it was right around that time that I found a two. And I found that God sent me to an even better milk. My faith in God brought me to a better quality milk. He sent me a better milk. And now I'm an a two milk drinker. Now you're right about that. The Decheco Stellina will blow the Ronzoni one out of the water and tell your friends, spread the word. We are not lost. We have not been abandoned at this moment. The Checo is going to come and save us. So you know what's funny? If you were to look at the actual category, and this is just a couple of friends talking, we're like if you first of all the pastina chili di pepe are in the same category. If you look at the pasta category, it, we're pretty much exactly the same. So it's not like hey, you know this they was they had such a foothold on the market and now it's gone. Um, it, it's look they've made a decision. This could be a marketing stunt by them, as far as I know. Hey, look, maybe Ronzoni's looking to revamp. Maybe they're looking to change things. Maybe maybe some hotshot marketing person came in and say, hey, what is your most attached cut of pasta that you have that people are really attached to? Because, look, no one's crying if Ronzoni discontinues rigatoni or another cut or whatever it might be. Anything else. Anything else at all. Right. So, hey, maybe this could be it. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, look, if you're, if you're a CEO of a company and you see this happening, you're like, hey, we're just going to nonchalantly discontinue a, a part of our portfolio that's actually really small. It's not going to hurt us if we do it. And then all of a sudden, the world loses their mind. I mean, what, what do you do? If I'm them, I'm bringing it back. But I, you know, like I said, but we don't need it. We, we, why are we, no why are we crying on yesterday? Let's talk about tomorrow. I have learned, as John and I are the Don Quixote, and what was his name? Pancho Sanchez, who was the guy behind him? And I think Pancho Sanchez. As we as we attack windmills, I have come to the conclusion that we just we have to be like rebel fighters, like guerrilla warfare, and we have to be nimble and we have to be docile. So you know what, Ronzoni? Yes, your box was a was a classical staple to who we were, but we're going to upgrade and we're not going to die and we're not going to give up and we might go under, but we 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 will be at the Pastina Alamo. I gotta tell you something. I saw somebody pay $75 on eBay for one of those boxes. Are people really that stupid? Is that what's happening here? <laughs> I don't know if it's nostalgia. Maybe it's nostalgia. That well, what are you going to do? You're going to save the box with the pasta and you're going to get worms in it. Well, you're talking to a guy who saves everything. So I have, I have, yeah, uh, Mike, you don't understand. I have, <laughs> I have, I have, I have, ca I have cases of Denoboli cigars from like 1920 that. <laughs> All right, I can understand a cigar, but the pasta, you're going to save the pasta? Journey. No, no. I mean, I would. Yes, I, I would certainly save anything. That's just me. Cause one day when I die and my wife throws it all out, somebody's going to go through your, the garbage and pull, pick up there. And, like, yeah. and you know, Nicole's going to enjoy throwing every single box out. Yeah, it'll be oh, a yeah. sick enjoyment. Like, <laughs> absolutely, ah, all love. your clutter is going away, Johnny boy. Into I that think dumpster. There, there's an important question to ask here. I think so. If let me give you guys a for instance, let's say this hysteria is true and it is the end of days, 
there is no more pastina. You find it on eBay. How much would you pay for the last box of pastina? Go. Well, uh, let me clarify this, though. You're saying, let's say nobody else manufactured pastina in the world. Yes. You got, you're got you in a secondary black market. You, oh, I would, I would pay a lot. How much? Put a number on it. Uh, give me an over-under. <laughs> That's hard for me. You know me. I'll waste I money. I just told on. you somebody paid $75 for a box of Ranzoni pastina, one pound. But Michael, Michael, and you're in the business. But if, if like, if, you know, the zombie apocalypse is coming and you know there's no more pastina coming, that's it. There's a finite amount of pastina. Globally, in the world, every manufacturer. Yeah, but that's like that question when people say, well, if you knew you were going to die, what would you want your last meal to be? <laughs> if you were in death row in prison. This is a very deep kind of dark conversation. I'm kind of dark and negative, but this is on a whole different topic. <laughs> no, but it's a good point, though. Let me tell you, I'll tell you, I'll give you a comparable row. I, I, here, I'll tell you what I did, because, again, I am a hoarder. I want to just put that on the record. Everybody knows it. And I'm so you're, you're a curator. You, you, yeah, you are you. not, because they're going to go John. out. But hold on a minute. I'm a collector. Hold on a minute, John. I got to come to your defense, because there's people out there that think that you have, like, a dusty, moth rat infested. No, it is the most, it's pristine. It's a museum that's not found a home yet. It's yeah, exactly. Pristine, that's true. It's clean. Yeah. It's yeah. an Italian-American it's a- nostalgia museum. Um, you could eat off the floors. It's just a lot of stuff. And one day when John opens up the Viola Italian American Museum, it will find a home. Thank you for that. that that's why you're my best friend. So he, he gets me. That's why you. That's why in my will, I've got to predecease you so Nicole doesn't throw everything out. I got it. We uh, gotta have to. We gotta come up with a plan because you know she'll move within seconds. It'll if be you, gone. If, yeah, if, sure. you, if yeah. you're gone at 103, 104, she'll have a dumpster outside. 105, <laughs> she'll start throwing the stuff out. If there was a fireproof wall between my office and the rest of the house, she would just firebomb it. She wouldn't even worry about the good. She would just burn it down to the ground. Well, because... John, I think I actually have something for your museum. So I, it just came to my mind. We just received these uh, they're picture frames. They're these like old school picture frames with an award that we won, I believe, in 1893. It was at the Chicago wow. Pasta. It was at the Chicago Macaroni Fair. Wow! And it was—I don't know if you guys are aware, but Filippo Decheco invented slow drying process indoors. Before 1893, we used to dry pasta outdoors. Uh, he was the first that invented a system to dry it indoors. And at this Chicago World Fair, they gave him an award for uh, the best macaroni produced uh, in the world at the time because of the invention of Filippo Decheco. He's actually in the encyclopedia. Let me ask you while we're on that question, while we're on that topic, because you taught me this a while back, and I find it very fascinating. I think our audience will too. Obviously, the Checo is an excellent product today. It's the third highest selling pasta in the world. And uh, as Southerners, I know we're proud that it's an Abruzzese pasta first and foremost. Tell us about that process. How does it make the Checo different? And uh, what does it mean for... Pasta in the world, uh, how did it change pasta in the world? Like I said, before, before, we're talking, this is late 1800s, early 1900s. You know, pasta was done a certain way, mostly by hand. And then if you see some, actually some cool pictures from like the the Graniano Napoli regions, you would see these big, you know, almost like uh, cortili, where they used to literally dry pasta outdoors. Um, and, you know, Filippo Di Cecco invented a system and they called it the system of slow drying. Actually, if you look at our, if you ever take a, a, one of our boxes and you see the first thing that says in front of our boxes is always slow drying. So when you, when you make pasta and when you produce pasta, the way the pasta is dried is actually what makes the pasta. You know, yes, you have to use very good semolina. You have to, has to come from a certain durum wheat. Has, you have to use certain type of water. But the way the pasta, you know, bronze dyed, but the way the pasta is actually dried, which is the final step of making pasta is the most important one. Um, You know, a lot of pastas, even the ones that are made in Italy, are dried at, you know, high heats and different temperatures, and it causes the pasta to change. Also is why you see a lot of pastas have different cooking times. You know, somebody asked me this question once, and it made a lot of sense. They were like, hey, how come when I buy four different types of rigatoni, they all take different times on cooking? Mm. You know, if it's the same type of pasta, if it's, you know, if it's made the same exact way, why doesn't it cook at the same time? And, you know, it's that it's that process. And it's that process that, you know, Filippo Di Cecco invented 130 years ago that we we still carry today. There are there's some other pasta companies in Italy that do it as well. Uh, but if, if you were to look at the back of one of our boxes, there is actually a, a process that's called 
we actually have this, you know, it's kind of a, a DeCecco patent and it's the DeCecco method. And it's a method on which we make pasta. We use, you know, if you have a CIOP facilities, if you look it up on Google, we sit at the bottom of the Mayela Mountains. So right behind our facilities is, is spring water. So we use water from the facility there. I mean, that blows my mind. 130 years, we haven't figured out a way to move from the bottom of a mountain. We're one of the only three pasta companies in Italy that actually, so we just redid a, a new branding of our brand. So our brand used to say from 1886, we've actually changed it. And now it says Mugnai. Mugnai in Italian, it means millers. We're one of the only three companies in Italy that do both. So we mill grain and we produce pasta in the same facility. Wow. Most pasta companies, even in Italy, they buy semolina already processed. So they buy from a mill. We're a mill itself. So we're so we actually changed our brand. We're rebranding into Munyai because we were Munyai first. We were millers first in 1831. It wasn't until 1886 that we started making pasta as well. That's interesting when we get to the conversation about, you know, Ranzoni Pastina is, is discontinued because their manufacturer decided they don't want to do it anymore for whatever reason. It's not right worth it. So that, that's the point of, like, here's here's a corporate label that, although it has history in the United States, is really just a label on somebody else's macaroni. Correct. And you guys, you're telling us, are not only still producing the pasta in your own proprietary method, but you're also milling the wheat, and that's a huge part of it. Does Tocheco use wheat that comes from other places outside of Italy? So that's the other biggest misconception in pasta. And I'm really tired of seeing a lot of pasta brands here that advertise only Italian during wheat. First of all, Italian is a country the size of maybe Florida and the Carolinas put together. So, And we consume pasta a lot more than any other country in the world. So our production of actual grain is not a lot. So we could barely sustain what's Italy. So we actually have always, since... 1886, since we started producing, the Czechos always use grains from the United States and Italy. Mm. So there's different reasons why we do that. Italian durum weed is very flavorful. If you smell Italian durum weed, it actually has the, that smell of grain. United States durum weed, which actually most expensive and probably the best one in the world, comes from a region in uh, Southern California into Arizona. It's actually called desert durum uh, because of the climate there. It has like the perfect climate for durum wheat that's super high in protein. If you hear people talk about a lot, you know, when they talk pasta, if you talk to a chef, they like to ask, hey, what's your protein content in the pasta? So that's why we, we do that. But we do a blend. Don't, don't let anyone fool you. 99% of pasta companies in Italy are, are not only using Italian grain. There are some companies that don't use Italian grain at all. Um, you know, that's why there was... Uh, there was a huge deal of some of the smaller brands in Italy during the war in Ukraine because Ukraine ships and supplies a lot of grain into Europe and a lot of it into pasta companies in Italy. So uh, that was a big deal when that happened. That's how Oso Emil got written. That's right. The guy who wrote Oso Emil was in Odessa buying uh, flour to ship back to Italy to make into macaroni. Yeah. That's amazing, really, when you think about it, how we, you know, how, how we've come to relate to these things and think about quality. And like you said, you know, the Durham wheat that's coming out of Southern California and Arizona is high, high quality, better than you're going to get in a lot of other places. And then people have in their mind a mentality that's got to be made from purely Italian wheat. And yeah, a lot of this stuff is misleading. And, but again, it all goes back to this idea that, you know, for us, this is the staple soul food. Uh, I know uh, there's plenty of other great Italian food, you know, a nice plate of eggplant that my grandmother makes makes me feel great. And, you know, the list goes on and on. But there's nothing like pasta. Pasta is undeniably the most important canvas for our culinary experience. And the circle comes back to where we started the conversation, which is like there are emotional attachments and a lot of consumer awareness and loyalty around how we eat pasta. It's just, it's just the reality of our experience. Just so you guys know, I was on a call with some of our uh, executives from Italy yesterday. They have no idea in Italy that this is happening, by the way. Wow. Yeah, but that, that, that says more about Italy than it does about macaroni. That's another, that's another story for another day. <laughs> that's probably true. Should I, should I rile him up? Pat, should we let you go on this one? No, I, I'm just, I'm just yeah. saying it's not, you know, it, we, we're making it a big deal here because I think as Americans and as Italian Americans here, you have attachments to certain things. 
Um, you know, and, you know, I think there are people, you know, we live, do you think this would have happened if it was 20 years ago, you know, before social media was really this big? No. You know, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. Um, I just no. think people are making it a huge deal. Social media influencers are getting all over it. Hey, look, it's a good way to get people to, you know, whatever, the followers and the likes and, you know, whatever people content that people might be making. I get all of that. Uh, but let's stop the nonsense. You know, I, I'm with Pat on that. It's not the end of the world. You know, you you got somebody on here who works for the largest manufacturer in the world. You have someone here who's a small business owner that could provide you this. It, it's not the end of the world. Your kids are going to survive. They might actually eat something that's better for them. That's right. Um, I'm sure what I'm selling and what Rosella's selling are much better than what you might have bought over the years. So it's kind of that, but I get it. I get the attachment to brand. I just don't get people losing their minds over it. Well, that's what I wanted to accomplish today. The idea is to say to people, look, what what I care about personally is not what brand or what you make pastine out of, what small soup cut you use, or, you know, there's no such thing as authentic. Everything that you do is authentically Italian-American because you are Italian-American and you decide every day to identify as Italian-American. I think that's the greatest thing about this culture that we get to share. My concern is that people understand that if you want to keep a tradition alive, if this is important to you, if it's your soul food, it's out there. It's available through a lot of different venues. DeCheco's here to rescue us, and uh, we'll, we'll hold Mike to that. And every time we see him, you know, we got to make sure that it's out there on every, as many shelves as possible. It's obvious that this community has a deep, deep affinity for these tiny little beautiful Italian penicillins. Rosella's Bottega della Nona, it's going to be linked in the show page right to the Pastina box. Not only can you get it there, but you get a great box from Ro when you support uh, an Italian-American family business. And uh, keep fighting, like Pat says, to preserve and evolve these traditions because they are who we are and they mean something. And I'm just glad to know that the next time I feel a little bit of a sniffle or the baby's looking for some macaroni, there's going to be plenty of options around Pastina out there for many, many generations to come. So, Mike, thank you for coming on, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you. I hope I see you before New Orleans. Yeah, I hope so, too. And the, the only thing that I would just really want to say be, before we go, let's stop with the bashing on, on social media. Look, if someone chooses to eat a brand, if someone is tied to something, just let it be. There's, I see, I, I, like, I re, I'm reading some of, the, some of the stuff that I see online. Just Let's just all stop being mean to people. That, there's, no, there's no need for it. Let, let people be. Every, you know, we live in a free country. People get to do what they want. Amen. Amen. Can I say a special thank you? I want to thank you, John, for planning another food-based podcast episode on a late afternoon of a day that I am intermittent fasting. So as I approach hour 23 and a half, I want to thank you. And the, the, what do you, you have like a psychic excellence in picking any day of the week. It's like, I'm going to fast tomorrow. Okay, John's got an episode coming. So I want to thank you. I want to thank you very much. In all fairness, it was supposed to be yesterday, but I, I couldn't yeah, make it. I know. It. I had it all planned. <laughs> thank you, Mike. Yeah. Well, and, I, I, and I did my 24-hour fast oh. yesterday, but I was just too busy. So. Did you really? Do you intermittent fast? I do 24-hour fast Sunday into Monday every week. You feel better? I feel yeah. much better. I, I, feel twi- I, twice if I don't do it. I don't think I'll be able to get through my week. Yeah, I do it wow. twice a week. But that's right. because anyway. I... Eat and drink on the weekends as if I'm going to the chairs. Yeah, me too, because it gives you a good day off. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd rather suffer two days than party for five. But guys, Pastina is the ultimate Italian-American detox. Ooh. That's very true. This is how we detox. You go to a wedding, you eat too much at the cocktail hour. The next day, no, no, niente, sola pastina. That's it. <laughs> She's right. Wow. So we, maybe maybe we need a new intermittent fasting strategy with Pastina, this Pastina diet. Oh, the Pastina diet's brilliant. I've done it. Pat, you must experiment. For seven days straight, you are to only eat Pastina. Every night, you are going to have Pastina for dinner, and you will report back your results. You know what? You, tr- you know what? I'm glad you brought this up because I don't know if you guys know this. Do you know why Pastina is fed to sick, like, was a sickness food? but it's always served white because the Neapolitans had a belief that white foods made you healthy, that when you were sick, they were like restorative. Really? That's why Neapolitans would have pastina with butter and cheese because butter is white, cheese is white, and they wouldn't put black pepper or tomato sauce or anything like that because 
they thought that restorative, curative foods were always pure white. That's why Bastina was Bastina, butter, and a little bit of cheese, or Bastina and broth and a little bit of cheese. That was considered curative for the sick. Yeah, because we had the term mangiare in bianco, yes. is like to eat with no right, uh, monster right. or condiments or anything. It's just the, the plainest of the plain. However, I do make a tomato broth pastina, and it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, but we make we make a soup. We make um we make my grandma's sites makes makes a beef soup and we throw an agina paper. And I've actually seen a girl that I went to high school with actually posted on Facebook and she kind of called it agina paper soup. And I had never seen that before. Mm. Oh, I made I made a like an Italian wedding soup yesterday with the meatballs and the escarole and I put agina di pepe in there. So it's funny because growing up, I've only eaten pasta two ways. It was either pastina gondado, right? Where you put the egg drop if you want it, or pastina formaggino. That's it. Yeah, that was the only two yeah. You yeah. got to put bel paese formaggino. I put it. There's, I love pasta. It's so versatile. And you know what? Listen, as a, as a food influencer, seeing all like the Metagons in Idaho make this is pastina, you know, like uh, seeing them make it. It's a little funny, but it, it honestly just goes to show you how versatile it can be. Like I got some pastina plans for 2023. I got a whole pastina series coming out. That's awesome. Just so, oh so just so you know, first of all, thank you for, for, for having me on this. And uh, I, I don't know. Do you guys have a headquarter? I like to send a, a case of Akini di Pepe. That's how it's, Americans call it. And this is serious, uh, please. I'm I'm dead serious, guys. I I'd like to get this to you guys. Before before we were we will go we, at one point we'll probably get wiped out because that's what Americans do. We're we're gonna overbuy everything. So my yeah. mother gonna be so happy when Archie Pepe arrive in front of the house. <laughs> and let me tell you oh, you get a freebie. She love a freebie. She got coupons. When they went to, I never thought my mother would be an internet savvy person. <laughs> and you know what brought her on the internet? Digital coupons. You could have put a gun to my head, say you got to go on the internet. It ain't happen. Digital coupons came on. All of a sudden, she taught herself. Wow. See? Oh, she goes for a party. I love it. Archie Pepe come. We're gonna have a party for the week. <laughs> Send me, send me your address, Pat. I got you. Thank you. Oh, you're the best. And you know what? For those out there, Ajna Pepe is a great option. Go out, get some small soup-shaped pasta, and uh, when you're done listening to this tonight, I'm sure, like all of us, you're going to want a bowl of it. Be it in broth, be it bianca, be it with cheese, be it red, however you want to make it, go out and make it. Get a little bit of that soul food. And uh, for the rest of the week, you will be sustained by the magic of Italian penicillin. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Piss off, Ron Zoni, because Mike is going to bring us the Stalina if from it. your life to be <laughs> great, <laughs> see that you're born in Italiano, and your life will be great, see that you're born in Italiano.